0: Oh, it's the breath, the vocal, the vocal folds. Oh, it's the the
1: vocal, Welcome to episode two, a very special episode as we welcome our first guest, and I get to experience what it's like sitting in the interviewer's chair for the very first time. In later episodes, we'll start to look at the work of voice researchers and practitioners. But we'll also be hearing from professional voice users, singers, actors, voiceover artists and learning about their experience and journey with their voice. So when choosing our guest today, it was important to me that we start by looking at the voice from a performer's perspective. And today we are hearing from a phenomenal singer. Steve Balsamo shares experiences of his voice from... West End crucifixions through ancestral overtone healing to singing and writing as a solo recording artist. And he also gives us a world exclusive listen to his new solo music project. Now, if you haven't heard or in fact seen Steve's performance from the mid 90s as Jesus in Jesus Christ Superstar, then A, you haven't lived. And B, have a look on YouTube and discover what you have been missing because. His performances in that role are a masterclass in breathtaking vocal dexterity and athleticism in the service of acting through song. And while you're at it, just do check out all of Steve's other projects via his website, stevebalsamomusic.com. Now, before we get started, whilst I'm not one for making unnecessary apologies, I do feel, dear listener, that I should warn you, having given the beginning of my first interviewing experience a quick listen back to check we had successfully recorded, as one does, I discovered, with ample amounts of chagrin, that it is apparently not only when I'm enjoying my food that I mmm and are my enjoyment and appreciation – but evidently also in conversation. Hmm. Perhaps that's what they meant by she never shuts up. (laughs) No matter, it is something I will definitely seek to remedy for you as I gain further interviewing experience. And it will at best give you something to giggle at whilst you imagine me wincing at myself, so do enjoy it whilst you can. My audible enjoyment will hopefully in no way mire your enjoyment of the expansive and enlightening conversation I shared with Steve. And if you agree, please do consider leaving us a review on iTunes or your podcast platform of choice, telling us what you enjoyed and why. For a new podcast like VocalScope, it really can make all the difference and will help us to be discovered by new listeners. So, Thank you for being here and enjoy the show. Steve, you played Jesus in a mid-90s West End revival of Jesus Christ Superstar, yet many regard you as having the voice of the gods. You are an enthusiastic wrestling fan, yet you've also had experience of using your voice for deeply healing and shamanic practices. You have recorded albums as a solo pop artist, a rock artist, as part of the duo Balsamo Dayton and as part of the band The Stories, and yet you're now back in the driving seat as a solo artist recording a series is of four intriguing EPs that have a gorgeous Americana feel. Mm. Mr. Balsamo, you have a lot to explain and I have many (laughs) questions. I am so delighted to be having this conversation with you. Welcome to Vocal Scope.
2: Thank you very much. I was thinking this morning when we met
0: Mm.
2: and I worked in it was 23 years ago and I was rehearsing for Superstar. Yeah, And I was watching everything I could, Jesus-related. And I'd watched The Last Temptation of Christ. And I'd gone for a singing lesson with Mary Hammond, the great Mary Hammond. And the door, it was was about 10 minutes left of my lesson, the doorbell went. And Mary said, can you get that? And when I opened the door, the angel from the film (laughs) I was watching the night before was at the door and it was you. It was. And I, it scared me because I couldn't work out if it was an angel or a devil in the film. <laughs> it was both. But ex- well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I took it as a big sign that I was on the right path. Absolutely. So, yeah, that was 23 years ago. It's amazing, isn't it? You look the same. So do you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, mm. voice. Yeah. Voice. I know that you discovered your voice from what we know quite Hmm. late in comparison to for example a lot of the children I teach running my theatre school which is quite interesting to me because you, you when we hear you we feel that you have just you must have just come out of the womb singing and yet you say that you didn't really start singing until you were 18 19 yeah
2: about then so my mum was a was a singer. She sang an Iced Edwards and One Iced Edwards back in the day. In fact, I was looking through some old stuff in the garage and I found an old cup that she'd won and, and a certificate saying she'd won um, a duet mm. with with a guy. The Ice Edwards being the the Folk Festival of Wales, and um, and she used to sing to me and my brother Andrew. my, my youngest brother hadn't come along by that time. At that point, mm. used to sing to us every night beautiful and one of the most lovely lovely memories Mm. that i've got Mm. and i remember as a kid being very free and and singing and at the time i used to love elvis elvis films on the tv all the time I used to love that so but we never had any music in the house we didn't have um a record player
0: Mm.
2: i can't remember a radio lots of TV, so any, any music it kind of, was kind of the, whatever was popular at the time coming through the TV. So then at school, and this is a true story, I wasn't allowed to join the choir. We had to get up and sing Morning Is Broken as an audition piece. And I was so nervous that it must have, well, I didn't get in. That wouldn't happen these days because, of course, everyone can participate.
0: Yeah.
2: And, and I've told this story a few times, but the teacher mrs richards who said i couldn't be part of the choir years later when i finally did what i did singing wise came called my mum and said can you tell steve to stop telling that story it it kind of it never happened that way so we ended up on a tv show with davina mccall talking about it but that's another story for another day so i didn't really start singing until i was probably about seventeen or eighteen local wow. bands friends said do you want to sit in on this and i and i did and it was really interesting so listening then to kind of rock music at the time and there was a we used to have a a lodger when i was about 15 called reese jenkins a lovely guy who was into rock and roll and he was studying maths at swan's university and he had a guitar and he was a really good guitarist and he was at the kind of heavy rock. So he was giving my brother and myself these records saying, check this out, check that out. Mm. So it was at that point when I started going, oh, this is good. And, and I kind of had a had a framework and it was kind of heavy rock. So I started, I was listening to Deep Purple and uh, Led Zeppelin. And so I was emulating all of that kind of yeah. kind of rock and roll, high, high singing, kind of high falsetto stuff.
1: Which really set you up.
2: For what came later. For
1: what came later. So... How did you go from being in rock bands to starring in the West End?
2: <laughs> it, it happened. So it happened quite quickly, strangely. And when I look back now, I think, well, I was very lucky that certain things happened in a certain way. And, and, and so, I, so I started in bands and we started playing around and we got a few bands together and we, you know, we did a couple of tours away to Germany when I was about 20. And... You know, singing in bars, it kind of very quickly you kind of strengthened your voice, and I had no training at all, no formal training whatsoever. Wow. I just list just listened to great singers, you know mm. Ian Gillen and uh, free and you know some great I used to love um, Bessie Smith and old blue singer. so I used to love that kind of kind of high kind of singing so then a friend of mine, I was in art school and I was in love with this girl. The relationship went, so she carried on studying art, and I I dropped out and became a piano removal man with the the guy whose band I was in. And uh, a friend of mine was auditioning for Neath College performing arts course, and he was singing Bohemian Rhapsody. He wanted me to sing Bohemian Rhapsody for him. He was a guitar player, so I went in and sang it. And then Alan Good passed away last year. I love him. He said, "Yeah." good guitar playing Steve you can sing do you want to join this course so I said yeah all right I got nothing else to do I was lifting pianos for you know for a living every day so I joined the performing arts course and the the drama teacher there said we're going to do superstar and you and you're going to be Jesus so we did superstar in college so I listened to it quite a lot and and thought you know this is this is interesting because I could do I could do the notes quite easily Back then, you know, it was all kind of in my range. And having sung all the kind of rock and roll stuff with the high falsetto stuff, and you're talking kind of early nineties, so it was coming out of the eighties hair metal stuff. So it was yeah. all kind of very high, great rock singers. So we did that, and it went really well. And, the, and at the at the very last performance, we did a week of performing Superstar. Mm. And it was a good cast. There were some great, great singers and great performers in our in our group. On the last performance, during the crucifixion scene, I looked down. It was in the Gwyn Hall in Neath, and I looked and I thought, "God, I am going to do this again." Now, I just had this overwhelming sensation that I played again. That was that. A week later, the Rian, uh, the the singing teacher in this in, in the college, she said they're audition they're doing open auditions for Les Mis, so I got the train from Swansea, a three o'clock train, sat in to london three hours sat in mcdonald's drinking coffee but was wired to the moon was the first in the queue and went in and sang bring him home which she taught me uh rianna taught me and gethsemane and we our our version of gethsemane or rian's version during um our college performance put Mm. the the rising bit in the going up to the big high scream rather than doing the the Ian Gillen with the Ted Needy Scream. So we yeah. kind of reconfigurated it. She'd handwritten the music and I played it. And literally, um, I was the first one in... I remember Ken Caswell, who was in the original cast of Les Mis. Yes. Lovely Ken. He was the director. So he came on stage and said... Um, Have you done anything before? I said, Oh yeah. On my I lied on my C V said I'd been in loads of he said, No, I know you haven't done anything before (laughs) (laughs) So then he he said come this way. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I knew I knew that even then. So he said, Come this way and then I met this guy called Cameron McIntosh and Who's he? I have no, I had no idea. <laughs> so I went back to college and they said, and, and Rian and, and Alan said, how did it go? I said, it was great. I met this guy called Cameron. He seemed a nice fella. They were like, what? <laughs> so I got in the touring production of Les Mis at 21 and wow. I was off. So with no training, mm. three months in Neath College, which was basically all about drinking 10 pints of Strongbow in a lunch break. Of course. Which was Alan's Hydration
1: Good's. for the voice. You know, it Very was
2: important. Bu- <laughs> 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 it was beautiful um i was i was away so so and then after that did that for about 18 months i think we did we went to edinburgh and dublin dublin and edinburgh and that was learning on on the job literally because all the cast had done loads of stuff and um it was just massive learning so i came out of that and the guy who was in the cast with me a couple of years later called me and said i've become an agent and do you still sing that gethsemane song and i said yeah my brother had called me that morning and said they were they, they were saying on the TV that they were looking for a Jesus, and I and and Johnny said, "Hey, come come up." He called David. He, I went to his place in Guildford, sang Gethsemane for him a cappella. He was like, okay. He got on the phone to David Grinrod, who casts a, a lot of Andrew's shows, and said, "You've got to see Steve. you are going to cast him," which was a was big talk.
0: Yeah, sure.
2: So I went to sing for uh, went to sing for David, and he cried at the first audition. Which we'll come back to in a bit because that's been a a theme that's okay been through the
0: mm. my
2: singing and what it's about. I think mm. the, the kind of the internal structure of it. Um, yeah. and then that was it. Fourteen auditions later, I got the part,
1: Phenomenal. and that's what we met. It is exactly the time. How amazing! So, so why did your career not remain
2: in musical theatre? People ask me all the time, are you going to go back into theatre? you going to... Mm. Because I kind of left at the top, really. I just said, yeah, mm. thanks very much. So, what happened? The, the short answer is although I love it as a medium, it's never been something that I I don't go home and listen to Seven Brides or Seven Brothers like some of my friends in the thea- theatre would do. Or I don't, sure. you know, I appreciate it as, a, as, a, as an art form and some of the songs I love. I was listening to The Baker's Wife the other day, mm. the Meadowlark song. I mm. just love it. It's just stunning and beautiful as a song but my my thing is all about singing songs and writing stuff that i've been involved with and that's that's been since i started in the band yeah way back when the theater was um the musical theater was a a very lovely and afforded me a lot lots of different doors opening in lots of different places um it was like a bridge to to, to somewhere else when Johnny called me initially, the, the guy who became my agent, the guy who was in Les Mis with, he said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I think well, I fancy a, a recording contract with Sony. And he said, okay, let's work towards that. So that was my goal. So literally three months after getting the part of Jesus, I was on a load of TV shows and profile went up really quickly. Labels were knocking at the door and I signed to Sony. I signed to Sony about four or five months in. So incredible. although, you know, and... and I was talking to a friend the other day. At the time, Andrew Law Webber was writing Whistle Down the Wind with Jim Steinman.
1: Yeah.
2: And I I sang all the kind of, the mock-ups, I sang all the demos for that. That's why a load of them are really, a lot of the songs high. are really high. <laughs>
1: it's your fault. <laughs> I know.
2: I wouldn't do it now. It, it would just be much more realistic. Chilled. Chilled, much more chilled. Um, it was never something that really kind Ooh. of, moved my soul although I I go and see stuff and I think and I saw a couple of things and I bumped into a few people and I've seen a few things recently that that, that that's really kind of gone oh that maybe Mm. and I keep the door open so maybe
0: Mm.
2: but my what really gets me going is being in a room creating something with some other people or or myself kind of calling in the muse if you like or whatever seeing what alchemy kind of shows up trying to distill some real story a life story into a three minute mm. thing and then putting it out to the world like a ship in a bottle and seeing, seeing where it goes
1: yeah so or a
2: message in a bottle rather.
1: a message yeah mm. yeah so really it's about um connecting something that you were referring to earlier which is about the impact mm. of the music and the telling yes. of your own story yes and something that you've been through yes. and using your voice Yes, to convey that message is yes. it is it very different writing for other voices because your voice has a phenomenal range. Um, how how do you go about singing? You know, writing for other singers and do you mindfully say, okay, this song is for somebody else and this song is for me?
2: That's a really good question. I, I've only written for myself. And the songs that have been covered by other artists, Meatloaf recorded one, Slash from Guns N' Roses recorded one, Cliff Richard just recorded one. There's a spectrum mm. of artists right there. Mm. Um, song, they're, they're songs that, have, that I've written for myself. It's only in the last few months that I've gone, mm, I'm going to have a look at seeing what happens because a few friends of mine have become phenomenally successful writing songs for other people. and it's. Mm. And I was thinking about this as well the other day. I think... Where I am right now in my life i'm very interested in in exploring quite selfishly what my voice is mm. to me mm. and and this sounds and I'm very careful with what I do now, and I'm very careful with what i sing and and it's really hard to kind of put into words what it is i'm over the when I was young, it was all about let's get out there and become you know, become whatever I thought becoming was. Yeah, yeah. Um, then I went into the theatre thing for a while, and that was great. I was never into the kind of adulation that, that kind of comes with that. It's not my thing. Sure. I love when other singers who I admire come and say, I love what you do, and and that's happened a few times, and it's a beautiful thing. It's kind of recognising what I'm doing as being authentic or mm, mm. worthwhile if you like mm-hmm. I I'm not quite sure what, what what that is but so where I'm at now with my voice is whereas before it was about hitting notes and and you know all of the kind of ego-based stuff it's 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 not that
0: mm-hmm. there's
2: another side that I that I've discovered and and I'm still discovering that the voice can be like a key to unlock certain things yes I remember when I when I was doing superstar I did a TV performance, I can't remember what it was, but it was something that was, you know, on like a major TV show. And a few weeks later, I had a letter from an 80-year-old woman. And she said... Um, she said that her husband had passed about eight or nine months before. And she hadn't cried. She hadn't cried for his passing or she, she felt mm. she wasn't grieving. And yeah. she saw the performance against Eminem on the TV and it was the first time she cried. And I remember at that point thinking, ah, oh, okay there's something else at play here. And of course the song is an emotional song and it's rangy and it's... And, and on TV I'd be crying, which is, you know, uh, kind of a trick, but it's not. It kind of came from a real place yes. initially at least. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I know it was the setup of the piece and what it is and, and the, the great writing of Andrew and Tim, but but I, I thought something else is at play there, you know? So I, I, I then thought, God, there's a responsibility with what I or we are doing, do yes. you know what I mean? It's more of an esoteric thing than, because everyone sings, and with the reality TV shows, and there are some phenomenal singers and technicians out there who are doing stuff, but the ones that make you kind of stop in your tracks or, or you know, break your heart open or whatever, those are the ones I'm interested in. And
1: yeah, as performers, that's that's really what we're wanting isn't it Mm. that's really we're wanting to move the audience we're wanting to carry a message and we're wanting what we're doing to be relatable
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and so it seems to me that that's that's what's exciting for
2: you yeah much more than anything music and singing and writing it's
1: what am i saying
2: yeah and I, i remember there's a there's a fella. In Wales, called Mal Pope. He's a great songwriter. He's he does love. It. He writes musicals himself now. And and I sang a song of his years ago. And I told him this recently. I, um. And I can remember the feeling. I sang the song, and it his song, did some did something. And it was the the, the intervals of the notes. It, it just did something to me. And it's all. And for me, it's always chasing that kind of whatever that is. It's almost like connecting you into a, an electricity mm-hmm. socket that. And sometimes, and as I'm getting older, the voice is changing and rolling with that and seeing what that is and,
0: Mm.
2: you know, being gentle on myself, you know, because I think I certainly got a tendency to be a perfectionist and realizing that that doesn't really exist anywhere Mm.
0: Mm. and
2: allowing it to be what it is. Yeah. but for me it's it, it's that it's about the communication of whatever you're trying to get across and sometimes it's not even with words it's just with with notes or sound it's 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 about communicating something very deep
1: yeah which brings us beautifully to a song that we're going to listen to uh now do you want to talk to us a little bit about sing your soul back home because really uh, that's what we're talking about isn't it it
2: it's, it, it is it's exactly that. So, I've I've been very interested in in kind of the idea of shamanistic singing. If I went into a jungle, for example, in in South America and said I'm a singer, they'd all laugh. They said we're all singers. Mm-hmm. So this idea of of this kind of um, thinking you're special in some way because somebody puts you on a TV show, you know. Sure. For the you know it's it is, on one level it's great. And to perform, we have to have a certain amount of ego or whatever that is. But moving towards something else, um, I studied a lot with a a woman called Jill Peirce. Yes. uh, Who was one of the pioneers bringing in Tuvan throat singing, Khumi singing from Mongolia and Tibet into the West through Karl Heinz Stockhausen, who she she worked with back in the 70s. So Jill has been this great kind of teacher of this very magical form of singing basically it's a tone and you accentuate the uh, harmonic series Mm. so it it rings like a series of bells yeah so i did a lot of work with jill uh, you know four or five years of doing courses with jill and i found it incredibly um moving and very very powerful stuff because that was her way of hooking me into a um an exploration of the voice into a magical realm, into a place that's that's not about ego, it's it's something totally different. And sing your soul back home was there's a guy called uh John Constable. He's known as John Crow. He's a writer and a singer and a performer and he's also a shaman of sorts, where in, in that he kind of He's in touch with something else, whatever the other is, if you subscribe to that sort of other realm of reality or spirit or whatever it is, he, he claims to be in touch with that. And he had an experience in, in Southwark. He runs a thing now called the Crossbones Graveyard. When Crossrail was digging up London, it uncovered thousands and thousands of bones of of children and, and women that were prostitutes around the Southwark area. So he he um, took an inordinate amount of um, psychedelics, yeah, and claimed to be in contact with uh, what he called the goose, which was one of the the prostitutes from a few hundred years ago. And this, through through a series of po- beautiful poems and performances, he and, and and several different performers kind of reenact this. Thing about the the, the the women down there so it's all about the honoring of the divine feminine again and mm. honoring those um, those women who who um, lived mm. and t- there's a beautiful graveyard called the crossbones graveyard well worth a visit so I was so impressed and so moved by by one of the performances I went and, s- and wrote this to my friend Tim Hamill
1: that's amazing we're going to hear it now <laughs>
0: lost the connection send him-
1: Thanks.
2: That's coming out now, is it? It's that's out. That's out in the world. It's doing its thing.
1: Amazing, amazing. <laughs> New projects.
2: Yeah, just and exploring what it is, and and as I mentioned earlier, as I'm getting older, the voice is changing, but embracing that,
0: mm.
2: you know, and because I've been known for singing high, and that's great, and that's lovely, yeah. But also, you know, what else is there?
0: Mm.
2: What else is there? to be had yes and what is what is an authentic voice anyway what I think I'm only just learning what it is I am now I'm just coming into really discovering my voice I think before there was imitation and trying to Mm. sound like this and sound like that to do this and get that I think I'm kind of dropping all that and just seeing what what the real voice is and by doing that I'm I'm connecting his deeper and deep you know in 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 deeper ways to
0: mm.
2: sound and it's almost now I can because I'm honing the listening to uh, in such a fine way I can I can I know when I'm something's coming yeah it sounds very weird and very esoteric but I know when something's coming
0: mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm.
2: because the way I'm sounding I. And it's interesting. People have close to me have been ill, and and seeing how that affects the voice, yes. and seeing how grief will affect the voice, and and it's it's interesting. Um, I have a friend called Margaret Buchanan, a beautiful singer who lost her mum very young, and I always thought she had a there was a blueness in her voice. You know, there was a a yearning, a sadness, and a and, and I think it's really connected to that the trauma that she had when she that was... That early experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think we carry so much within the voice, within the different colours of the... So when I'm listening to people talking now, I can almost pick up if something's... The energy. Yeah, not, not right with them or... Mm
1: and do you think that that's through the overtone work the the healing work that you've done that you're able to <clears throat> tune into that i think so and listen to that
2: i think there's a resonance and and if we do key into it if we do kind of get into that field of listening mm. i think we can hear
1: we can hear f- ringtones i
2: mean that's like a, men- a-
1: good <laughs> is it jill
2: <laughs> do you know what that would be amazing to see it. was. <laughs> yeah, I think we can. I think we can. You know, mm. we can hear so much if we if we try and listen.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, talk to us more about sound and voice use for healing, mm. because that's definitely present in your experience mm-hmm. as a singer. It's yes. it, it's very clear. Um, and it's and it's really antithetical of the way that a lot of singers try to work. Mm-hmm. They're trying to capture something that they've heard. Mm-hmm. They want it for their own voice. Mm-hmm. You know how many young singers have listened to you and 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 tried to sound, you know, like you um, all the time in musical theatre students think that they should be striving to sound like the cast album Mm -hmm. instead of sounding like them Mm -hmm. singing the song and it's very hard when you have young impressionable students trying to help them to realize how important it is to find their sound Mm -hmm. and to connect to a lyric from their own perspective Mm but then when we take that a step for, for further forwards and we look at sound as a healer
0: mm.
1: where it's of a service mm-hmm. and we're talking about vibrational frequencies
0: mm-hmm.
1: what was your journey into that was something was was that something that you could understand and and connect to immediately did that take some learning and some understanding and what are your experiences of sound as a healing force
2: that's a that's a great question just backing up one or two um young students who are learning you know people write to me on facebook all the time and say will you listen to my guest ceremony which is great and can you give me some advice and my advice my advice is always do your own thing mm. And because my thing was listening to Ian Gillen and Ted Neely, obviously, um, and everyone that came before me and listening. And the, the biggest influence on, on the performance side of it was watching Michael Crawford on a, a Royal Variety thing back in, I can't even remember, late 80s probably. He did it. He didn't sing it anyway like the rock singers. He did his own thing. But it, for me, it was the most powerful. So I just basically stole all their ideas and kind of put it through my my body, my mm. equipment. Mm. Mm. So I try and say that to the to anybody who asks the question. But also to be aware that youngsters coming through who want to get a gig, they're going to have to sound like sure. So you know, sometimes that's you so. or yeah. You know, they've got they've got yeah. the 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 gig is you've got to arrange to does this and you've got to be a bit like this and sound a bit like that. Of course, but as long as that's, that's that but the, there's an awareness to find your own voice within that mm, even
0: mm.
2: you know there's, there's a load of great people who can emulate all of the reality TV shows that, you know they're all trying to be Adele or whoever's selling all the most records you know yes. I've not seen one Tom Waits on there no For, you know what I mean there's so it, it's really it's interesting Mm. so that's that I think it's about finding knowing what, where you are in the in the scheme of things yes but maybe trying to cultivate a a question of well there there, there might be something else driving this
1: yes it's, it, I think it's really talking about it with you now it's about being able to work from the outside in but then also from the inside yes, out
2: exactly but that's only taken me till now to get that so, mm. when I was 20, I was just trying to be the coolest dude, looking the best on, st- you know, singing the highest notes. That, sure. But through that experience, so coming to the healing potential, healing modality idea, it started with the old lady who rang, uh, mm. who wrote me a letter and said mm. that I haven't cried. Yeah. And I thought, oh, okay, what is that? Mm. And then people like David Grinnell or Angelo Weber on one of the TV shows, he was weeping. I mean, what is that? Of course. Again, I'll say you've, you're framed within a certain context of a story that's well known. But I've sung other songs that the people have written to me and said that broke my heart open. Mm. So I followed that down and found out, or tried to tried to find out what that is. Mm. And I think it's to do. It is to do with frequency, and it is to do with intention. And this sounds very esoteric, but the intention of of kind of anything, and, and I see. I see anything I do now as, a, as an act of of kind of magical art in a way. And that sounds so pretentious. I can't even believe I'm saying it. But that's that's what I believe. I believe I'm doing some magical stuff. So I try to keep that intention all the way through whatever I do now. Mm. Um, the work of Jill Peirce and the work of her husband, a, a scientist called Rupert Sheldrake, it's amazing. He's got this thing called Morphic Resonance, the idea that... Um, the natural world, oh god it's a how can I explain this in a uh, the idea that um we we we're all part of of fields, and the fields the field of us, the humans will resonate with other fields of
1: energy energy energetic fields. but also yeah. for example
2: they 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 put a gene in a in a rat pool in New York that would take six weeks to um kind of establish itself, and once it's established it'll take six days. Because it's already in the field of the mm. of the organism. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't think I'd be talking about Rupert Scheldrick stuff on here, but but it's to do it's to do with that. The idea that the, the resonance of the sound will carry my frequency and the intention of my frequency somewhere else. Yeah. Into 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 your field. And if it's received in a way in a in, in, in a healing way, for example. Then, then that's going to be the communication. So much like, if I sing, so I'm trying to write songs. Sing Your soul back home is is about a direct experience that I had watching the guy, who had the direct experience with his, um, whatever he had. Mm, mm. So that is almost a, like a like a true. So I try to distill that within mm-hmm. a tune. That. You know, people have gone. I love that because why do I like that? Yes, a nice tune, and I'm singing nice, and all, you know all the rest of it. But this, there is a there is an intentional mm. code yeah. that we've that I've put in that yeah. that is about communicating something beautiful. About in this case, it's about honouring the divine feminine. I know that sounds esoteric as hell, but that's what it is. So I think it's to do with the resonance. And certain notes, certain certain frequencies will resonate with certain parts of our body. Sacred geomet- ge- geometry, wise um, Fibonacci series, wise the whole mm. the idea of, of um, um, it's it's all maths. Ultimately, it's all kind of geometry. The way we are, the the the, the kind of the way our body's configured um, is all mathematically the same so and, and music plays a part of that and sound plays a part of that so I think all of that is in the mix mm. if we allow it to be or it's, it's a just guy a, singing a song
1: bunch of chords yeah and
2: chords and notes in a certain way mm. it can be both or none I think
1: so what's the potential do you believe for for sound as a healer and uh, and what's What's the past of that and what's the present of that and what's the future?
2: Well, we'll go back to Jill Purse again. She, her, her thing is about re-enchanting the world. We've kind of, we, we're disenchanted with it. it. It's one of the things I'm paraphrasing and I hope if she listens, she'll
1: And when we say it, are we talking about
2: life purpose? P- possibly. Life, relationships. We're in a very interesting time in history. Mm. We've got political unrest geopolitical unrest we've got the oncoming artificial intelligence which i've got a massive eye on because that's going to be a game changer not many people are talking about it but the whole mm. in a few years time certainly in our children's time there's going to be humans 2.0 we're seeing it with the kind of we're kind of rooted to our technology most of us, will sing eventually <laughs> they will of course they will
1: ai music well
2: well, AI well they're voice, doing it now they're AI writing, voice coaching. Well they are writing you know, musical you pitch, pieces. You love. <laughs> we'll have autotune
1: soft palate.
2: We we have an autotune in, in the in the kind of structure, in the kind of robots that we become. Mm. Um we're in a strange time. I think yeah. the idea of, of when we sing together, something happens, right? It, it 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 does. It makes us feel better. It's it's known that we um it lowers blood pressure and You know, there's more kind of activity in certain parts of our brain. So singing is good for us anyway. It just is. When we come together and sing, you know, I come from Wales and we've got a tradition of Welsh male voice choirs. There's nothing more kind of beautiful, in my opinion, than 30 beer-drinking blokes singing together and making a sound that makes the hair stand stand up Mm. on the back of your neck. So what is that? What is that? That's about resonance. That's about connectivity that's about coming together maybe we need more of it I don't know maybe we do so moving forward I think god that's I don't know I don't want to answer that that's a hard one does it take
1: us forwards or actually is it because it takes us back ah, to a time where we were better connected
2: I think so and that's a brilliant way of looking at it
1: for me that's that's my experience of leading a choir. Um, It's, it reconnects. Yes. We all arrive as individuals with our individual stresses, worries, burdens, and we have a shared experience and actually just the action of breathing together before we've even made a sound. And, and hearing each other and sensing each other's energy, for me, my experience of that is—is is it just reconnects us? And then when you take that to an audience and they're connected by that,
2: I was going to talk about this. It's no coincidence. There's a rise in choir groups getting together. Mm. Um, you know, we're living in a much more secular world. People don't go to church and sing together hardly. You know the, the numbers are dwindling. So that connectivity's gone. Um, so I think you're absolutely right, coming together in groups and then whatever you're setting up, the intention is whatever song you're gonna do. And, and when, when we sing, generally we're in the moment with the song or the words, if you're not going, oh my God, what are these words like I do most of the time? <laughs> you're generally with the moment, which is, you know, what, whatever, you know, all the gurus have been talking about for
0: yeah.
2: forever. Um, and I have a, a story to tell my mum was dying of cancer and my mum w- was the one who sang to my brothers and myself so when and I've been studying a lot with Jill and the idea of singing your soul away or singing your soul back home was, was kind of you know, percolating back You know, when my mum died 14 years ago during her dance with cancer we got together and sang together my two brothers and myself, with my mum for the 18-month dance that she had with cancer. And because I figured that when she was going to go out, it would be something to anchor anchor her to, the idea that she sang to us when we came in, wouldn't it be a nice gesture to do? And I was unaware that in the Buddhist tradition, that's, they do that anyway. They chant before the death, during the death, and then a few days after the death. Right. So it was just a sense of something... Like a, a like a calling to mm. to kind of do it, and when the day came that she um, was dying, when the, when the time came, the dying time, we got together, Andrew, Michael, and myself, and we were singing together, uh, just a tune that we kind of made up in the moment, and we were harmonizing and singing as she passed, and I noticed that Michael, who was young, was ten years younger than me and Andrew, would. Come out of the singing, instantly get into the drama of
1: mm,
2: my god, my mum's dying.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Start weeping and doing that, and and then we gently say, "Come and have a little sing." Instantly, he'd, he'd stop crying and get back into the the witnessing of the of the unfolding of the death. That's amazing. It was a ama- it was an amazingly mm. powerful moment, and really kind of made me realise that singing, toning, making any sort of noise, collectively especially, has an ability to bring us into the present moment. Yeah. And, esp- and what better moment to be present to than watching your mother going? So when I talked, I called Jill when my mum passed and, and, and told her that. And she said, from the tradition that she comes from, the, the idea that the, the lineage of the mother line would have been almost cleansed, if you like, healed. Because one of her big things is is healing the ancestral lines, the honoring the mother, the mother's mother, the mother's mother, going back and back and back. And in my case, my mother was lovely. In some people's cases, the 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 parents are not so nice, and they've had you know whatever you know stuff has gone on. Mm -hmm. But the practice that Jill did in during her um, courses was the honoring of the lines to, to, to to cleanse and clean for the generation for the descendants coming as well as the the ancestors
1: through sound
2: through sound her big thing is through sound and through chant to reconnect with the energy of the mother we do it for the father line as well mm. it's it's, it's a, a practice that goes on all day 18 hours sometimes we did it for wow. so you and you chant the name because when when we um Jill will talk about when the when we're given a name at birth that would carry some sort of vibrational yes. resonance yes and even if people are named after people to be to be mindful of that, because you may be bringing in something, some of their kind of essence, if you like. Yeah. Very esoteric, but very beautiful, because going back and chanting my mum's name, Elaine, and then her mum's name, Ivy, and then I didn't know, she just could say mother. It's a very, mm. very, very powerful thing. But the act of singing my mother away, in Jill's opinion, really kind of... And she said, this was way before I had my little girl Izzy, if you have a, if you have a, a girl... If you have any children and you have a girl, the the line would all, will automatically be prepared. <laughs> That's amazing. It's a beautiful That's idea. That's
1: amazing. So, we're going to listen to some overtoning now. Ah. What are we going to hear?
2: This was just a, um improvised piece that I did with my friend Ben. He just recorded, I just wanted to do it. And we, I just did a few tracks and it all became this. Mmm.
1: So, I know that some listeners will not really believe that that is the larynx. Mm-hmm. That is the voice creating those different tones. Oh, and, it, yeah. and it happens simultaneously, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So, we have a bass frequency. That's right. We have the fundamental frequency. Right. Um, and then we have, we can hear the, the higher harmonics. Mm-hmm. So, um, can you... Can I'll I try. put? Can I put you on the spot? I'll try.
2: I'll try. <laughs>
1: because it would be great for us to just hear that live. Mm-hmm. To hear how that.
2: I'll have a try. That is okay. So it's got to be quite high
0: mm.
2: in um, pitch for where you're at, and then you kind of move your tongue backwards and forwards. Imagine you, there's a, like an egg at the in the back of your tongue, so you get a bit of space at the back, and then it's the movement of the tongue, which causes the the overtone series to ring to
1: rise and lower and to change and to change
2: <clears throat> and when you get you'll feel the bite with the overtone and, you, and kind of just lean into that not vocally kind of lean in with the tongue
0: mm.
2: excuse the french of that <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> And then you get the little bell bell like notes i'll have a try i've done it for a while mmm
1: incredible, isn't it? It's a
2: great... And what it's it, so powerful. And again, you can not when you practice it you can learn in about five minutes. It'll take you a few months to get the... find out where the, the kind of little biting points are if you like. Um, but it, when we do it we totally get out of the monkey mind and you're straight into the sound.
0: Mm.
2: Because the sound is us. It's that kind of sacred geometry again. It's It's the it's who we are mm. in, in our in our bones and in, in our structure yeah and how we're made yeah so it kind of it kind of it sounds familiar like i think i, I think i know that from somewhere because it's us it's yes. our sound
1: yes how is it actually discovered how was that do you know I, that technique I, don't, I, I heard from uh, Michael Ormiston. Who was a brilliant who, practitioner. Yeah, so, He's one of the
2: best in the world.
1: Yeah. So I, I did a, a short course with him on overtone singing, Kumi overtone singing. Yeah. And he said that it was because there was a valley mm-hmm. and it was the wind that would whistle over the top, almost like a wine glass. And they, uh, and it was they would imitate that sound um and i don't you know that's that that's my memory of it it it, it was some years ago and i'm not sure if that's part of something i'm sure that's part of something much deeper Mm. wider
2: i know they called their horses back across the plains with Mm. it because it would it would carry it would carry far
1: yes yes
2: but there's um in other parts of the world i think in sweden they call it yoiking right and it's it's very similar it's 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 a very similar sound Mm. but it's more on the yodel so all the indigenous kind of people would have had a way to communicate mm. with without words that was kind of it would almost go straight into a, you know our subconscious or our yeah. soul or whatever you want to call it you know
1: yeah that's amazing
2: yeah it's a, it's a yeah
1: so before we um <laughs> fly off to the moon <laughs> go totally crazy let's let's come back to um function mm-hmm. of the voice and how you personally take care of your voice um, and how you deal with being on the road mm-hmm. being on tour and the you know the the challenges that we can have as singers we all are always aware that we have to look after our voices yes. how do you take care of your, of your instrument
2: first of all i have juliet Caton on speed dial <laughs> and I go help me please (laughs) I don't smoke which is the you know obvious one I don't drink very much although I do like beer Mm -hmm. um hydration water as much as you can all the time I do sirening I do the zzz that you taught me I do that every day I drive my family insane by the, <laughs> with brrr, the zzz, brrr, all <laughs> yeah. of those i do it i love it
1: semi-occluded vocal tract is that, exercises thank you. that's what we're talking about there folks thank you for, <laughs> is that what it's called yeah that's, that's
2: i've sweet, shared that it with all so my singing cool. friends they've all got the <laughs> but now i know what it's called it's usually the <laughs> zzz. um and i find them so oh so nice to do mm. so Because I never had any formal training. So I've had lessons throughout my life when I was doing Superstar with Mary to see if I was singing it correctly. And by chance, I was. I worked out a way by singing in bands years ago to sing correctly in the Mm. kind of right way, which Mm. was lucky. Mm. Very lucky. Very. But again, I think that was about listening and trying to, because I love listening. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I love listening. And the whole thing about, yeah. But I th- <laughs> I thought I just knocked it off earlier. That is so annoying. But we'll better- forgive you. Oh, I can't believe it. Everyone
1: loves a live ring tone. It's fine.
2: So I try and do as much <laughs> exercising as I can. I've got some tapes from Mark Malin, the teacher, who I love listening to, his dulcet tones. Just, you know, I mix it up. I try and do the, the restorative uh, zzz and whatever you call it, the yep. track thing. <laughs> the I tractor. try and do that. Tra- tra- I do the tractors. Um, and I take care. You know, I don't, mm. after gigs, I don't go into a loud room and shout and talk loud. I try not to shout at the kids anymore. They like quite like that. Sometimes I don't always get it. But, you know, <laughs> yep. just be mindful that mm. I want it to last for a long time. So yes. I, I try and take care. I nurture it. I talk to it. It sounds very weird. I I encourage my body to, if, you know, if, if there's been a cold or it's had a few bumps along the way, I talk to myself, self-healing,
0: mm.
2: ask it, you know, honor it. I just I just love it. Mm. And also, just to put in quickly here, my friend Tim, and producer, songwriter, friend of mine who wrote Sing Your Soul Back Home With Me, Um he runs a commercial studio, so he has singers coming in all the time and, and um, talking about vocal care and vocal health and all that. But they also come and say, they, they listen to themselves back, and they say, God, I don't like the way I sound. Tim, do you know anybody who likes the way they sound? And he goes, yep, Steve. <laughs> because I do. Because not in a big, oh, God, aren't I great? Not at all. I listen to myself and go, that sounds really nice. So getting a relationship with... with your voice and and loving it for it's all its kind of the edges. As I, as I said, I'm getting older and things are changing. Mm. I can't get rid of the Dusty anymore without some, you know, serious warming up and, you Mm-mm. know. So lots of hydration, lots of exercising and being mindful and warming down after after shows as well is really important, I found, as I'm getting older.
1: Yeah, all oh, very... Good, sound advice.
2: If you get any good advice there, I'll be asking you later. I think you've covered it.
1: (laughs) Um, What's going to be the future for your writing, uh, for your music? Um, Where do you see yourself in five years' time, ten years' time? Where do you see your voice going, your Hmm. writing going?
2: Well, I'm going to carry on making writing songs because it's one of my favorite things in the mm-hmm. world as i said earlier on the alchemy of people and what something something comes and so i'm going to carry on doing that um i'm trying to write for other people you know actively seeking that out because it's something i've never really done but i i'm really enjoying i'm going to keep learning keep doing courses and finding inspiring people like like yourself to kind of learn from and um because that's great having having a new technique or a new thing to kind of put under your belt you know mm. and 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 have I love that, and I love learning about the machinery, the voice, and how it works yeah so important it's really mm. it, it was a revelation when I started looking into it. It was like, oh my God, I can do that because of that all right yes. yeah and
1: yeah
2: oh okay and so that was that was great to know so and actually
1: I'm going to offer you something there which is which goes back to what you were um talking about about the impact emotionally that we have, because at the time I wanted to just uh, relate it, which is that the larynx is an imitator, so it's totally different from us as singers imitating other singers and sounds. And what I mean by that is that as an audience or as a listening audience member, when I hear your sound my larynx will imitate. Mm. You know, when you hear that someone's upset... Yeah. ...and there is that sound, that that edge, that quality, uh, your larynx goes, your larynx imitates. As a sympathetic human being... Wow. ...we start to physiologically imitate each other. And so, going back to the lady that wrote you the letter and and heard your performance um i think we relate physically physiologically we 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 start to mm-hmm. emulate and and imitate and that can then trigger those emotions and and, and wow. feelings that are that are there so yeah i just wanted to kind of share that because you're searching for okay what is this yes. thing about writing and, and and carrying the message and connecting and um and i just thought that was
2: Useful and relevant. You told me about the imi- the imitate. The Langs been an imitated before, mm. but oh, I never, okay. I never Sorry really got no. Myself. But now I understand it. I've oh, been okay. thinking about it for the last okay. ten years. <laughs> right. So thanks, for that. You're welcome. Um, that's amazing, and and it makes sense because sometimes I'm listening to singers, and I'm kind of going, you know, mm. people. We were talking earlier on before we started speaking on air about singers like Bonnie Tyler and people with the. Uh, um, distortion in their voice yeah. yeah. and whether or not that is a, a healthy way of singing. Mm-hmm. And we talked around that. Um, but sometimes if I'm listening to a singer like that, my, I am imitating, mm-hmm. how are they getting that, mm-hmm. that sound mm. for myself moving forward? I'd yeah. love to, I'm going to carry on writing. I love the genre. I'm in the Americana, the kind of country thing. I've got a few things that I'm following and, and vision into, into existence, but I've got this thing where I'd love to. My little boy Frankie in his school, they, they're very musical in the school, and it's because of the, they, they feed into the Istead, but so everybody, everything's performance based.
1: Wow, which that's is fen- it's fantastic. Very important and, and so rare now.
2: <laughs> very rare. And his last, uh, his teacher last year, uh, Sean Howells, she sings in a choir back a core back home, and, and uh, was very into. Um, um, singing and performance, but he did just did a little assembly thing. And Frankie's got a shy boy, but he started to learn piano. He's very musical. He comes to the studio with me, and it's great to see that enthusiasm. He, he's begging me for piano lessons. I mean, how rare is that? So, which is great. <laughs> so they did a an assembly on this thing called Capel Celyn, which is um, a village in I think it was mid Wales or towards North Wales that got flooded to make a reservoir for Liverpool Uh, because it didn't have enough water apparently back in the 60s and um the idea of this and it's really gone under my skin like really gone under my skin that Mm. i've been dreaming about it and and the idea of the kind because i'm into this thing called psychogeography the idea that the history of the land and the landscape will feed into the now and and the and the kind of the future will be feeding into what's going on now so the this Capel Carolyn is almost calling to me the kind of ghosts of the place, literally, the people who used to live there. So there's something emerging through this dream and it's all submerged and it's underwater. And wow! And, and what my reaction and response to that is vocally and what that will be. So I've got mm. this thing that's kind of coming out of the mist or out of the water that's, that's some sort of visual art thing that might be related to of the, the, my response to Capicalin and, and I'd love to so I'm putting it out there to the university what happens but I'd love to put it on at the Biennale because my dad and my family are from Venice so the idea that that's sinking slowly yeah so the idea that there's this thing there's something in there so I'd love to do that but I'd love to do it soundscape wise with electronica and kind of weird sounds and weird noises to see oh, what that would be fascinating so that's what I'm going to
1: that sounds like an percolate. incredible yeah an incredible project so to finish, we're going to um, listen to High on Sunset, Sunset. which is
2: the first play of it anywhere in the world ever. We've literally, it's, it's not out, we've not even finished this EP. And it was written about 15 years ago in Canada with a great guy called Dean McTaggart, it was a big hit songwriter. And he, it was after my trip to LA, which was an eye-opener, one of my first trips to LA. And it's all about what, what goes on there.
1: Wow. It's been so wonderful.
2: So lovely to see you. So lovely to talk to you about to,
1: yeah. voice. Yeah, thank you so much thank for being you. here.